if you're a guest, I don't usually do all the talking, um, but that's how it worked out right now, so that's what we're doing. Um, we're, going, we're going into the third week of this series called Too Good to Be True. Too Good to Be True. We, we run into things about Christianity, maybe statements from the Bible, maybe something that someone said to us or taught us when we were young, and we kind of look at that and go, oh, that sounds great, but maybe it's too good to be true. Maybe it's too good to be true. It's, for me, it's kind of like that, that uh, sentence on the top of the cereal box that says, to close, insert tab here. It sounds so simple. It, it's, it sounds so easy. Uh, I probably haven't properly closed a cereal box in years because I, I always rip the, the top of it when I'm opening it. I don't, I don't know what level of cardboard they're making that stuff out of that's really thin. And if you rip any part of that box top, it's not going to go back together right. Some of you are nodding like, okay, whew, I'm not the only one. All right. Um, it's, it's a problem. It's a little too good to be true because it's almost impossible. I just, I just we use those chip clip things and I, I just let my kids do it or whatever, but I can't, it's too good to be true. And I think when it comes to this thing that we're going to talk about today, um, from John chapter 1, some of us have kind of felt like, and maybe we would never say this out loud, but we felt this, or we've thought this, that maybe that's too good to be true. We're going to talk about forgiveness today. The idea that your sins can be forgiven. That's a very basic principle of Christianity, isn't it? Everybody kind of knows. That's, well, that's part of the deal, right? But on a really practical level, on a day-to-day level, I think a lot of us struggle to really embrace this idea that I can be forgiven, that God will actually take away my sin. The language that Scripture uses is makes it like it never happened. It's as far as the east is from the west. That God will do that for me? God will, God will forget my sin? That sounds a little too good to be true. Well, let's, let's, let's find out. Let's talk about um, the reason why we need forgiveness, why we want forgiveness. Let's talk about guilt. This should be fun. <laughs> You might need to go to the restroom and not come back. Uh, Guilt is a a pretty common human experience. Everybody experiences it at some level, at some point in their lives. Some of us were raised in sort of a guilt, a high guilt culture, where we were sort of made to feel bad for everything. And so even things that you hadn't done yet, but maybe you thought about doing and somehow your parents knew and they were like, I know you're thinking about it. You should already feel bad even though you haven't done it yet. Um, that, that's that's kind of how I was raised, high, high guilt culture, and I, I just felt guilty about stuff all the time, even stuff I hadn't done. And, and some people were kind of raised the opposite of that, which is, it's not your fault. You know, you, you never did anything wrong, you know. Sometimes you just, you're kind of a knucklehead, but you never really did anything wrong, and, and there was never any talk of sin or blame or responsibility for your actions. And so you kind of grew up in a very low guilt culture, and and maybe you're one of those people, you just, you just don't, don't feel guilt. Like, I just don't even, I don't, I don't feel bad. I don't have any regrets. I'd do the same thing again, you know. I've heard, heard people say that. Most of us are probably somewhere in between. Uh, where we experience guilt as an emotion. Here's what we need to understand. Guilt is more than an emotion. Because, and you know this to be true, you can feel guilty and yet be innocent, Right? You can feel guilty when you didn't actually do anything wrong. You have people in your life, uh, we lovingly call them manipulative, who can make you feel guilty for something that you didn't do or haven't done or wasn't actually wrong, right? And so even though you feel guilty, you're innocent. 
And by the same token, we can end up on the other side, and we can be guilty and feel innocent, can't we? You can actually have done something wrong, but you've just decided they deserved it, or it wasn't my fault, or whatever. You can be guilty and feel innocent. So guilt must be more than an emotion. It's got to be something bigger than that. Otherwise, our emotions would always match up with reality, and they just don't. Our emotions about guilt don't always match reality. So is guilt a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends. As with most things, I'm not going to give you a straight answer. Uh, we're going to come around, uh, around this a different way. I think guilt, guilt can be healthy. When we're at our best, when we're at our healthiest, guilt is a good indicator that something is broken that needs to be repaired. Guilt is a good indicator that something is broken that needs to be repaired. Right? When we're at our healthiest, that's how we process guilt. It's not just a feeling. Guilt is a state of being. If you have done wrong, you are guilty. That's how, that's how guilt works. And, and it's been a part of the plan from the very beginning when Adam and Eve uh, were in the garden and God gave them the, the one command, don't eat from this tree. And he turned his back and they ate from the tree. <laughs> After they ate from the tree, what did they do? They hid. Now, why would they hide from God? Guilt. There was something in them that said, we, we broke something. This relationship that we had with God is now broken, and, and they just didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know how to process the guilt of their sin, so they ran and hid. And maybe that's, maybe that's what you do. Maybe that's sort of your reaction. If I break a relationship, I run and hide. Maybe you've been hiding from God, not really connecting with God because you know that you sinned and you broke something and you don't know how to face him. Maybe you've done that with other human beings. You've broken relationships with people in your life. And so you're avoiding them because you don't know what to do with your guilt. Maybe that's just your way. And you, maybe you just you have a bad day and you come home and you go, well, I can never talk to that person again <laughs> or delete their number from my phone because I broke something with them and I don't know how to fix it. So they hide from God. Here's, here's how that normally goes in case you ever try hiding from God. He finds you. Um, you can't really hide from God. So he finds Adam and Eve. And he says, all right, we, we got to talk about this. We got to deal with it. What did you do? And Adam says, well, um, you remember the woman that you gave me? The woman that you gave me? So he's blaming two people at once here, God and the woman. The woman you gave me, it's really her fault. And so God turns to Eve and says, all right, Eve, what about it? And she says, well, that serpent that's here in the garden, it's really his fault. And so there's a lot of blame shifting happening because they don't know what to do with this sin and this guilt. They don't know how to process it. They don't know how to get rid of it. So they're, they're shifting blame. Maybe it's not my fault. Maybe that's been your, your method of dealing with guilt, is just to kind of go, well, it's, if I hadn't been raised the way I was raised, I would never have turned out like this. It's my parents' fault. Or it's the educational system's fault. Or it's, it's somebody else's fault somewhere along the way. There's somebody I can blame for this. That's our effort to try to deal with guilt. We're trying to get out from under it, and we don't know how to do it. So maybe, maybe that's your, your go-to method. A another way that we try to do it is to convince ourselves that what we did wasn't really wrong to begin with. Well, yeah, I know that, that somebody told me this was wrong, but I don't really agree with that rule anyway. That, that shouldn't even be a rule. How many of you feel guilty when you break the speed limit? That's what I thought. <laughs> Why? We've just decided, we've rationalized it in our minds, like, I know how fast I can drive safely. I don't need this sign to tell me. 
how fast I can drive. Like, I appreciate that that recommendation is out there for people who need it. I just don't happen to be one of them, right? And we've justified in our minds when we're actually, you understand we're breaking the law, right? You do understand that. Okay, so we've justified it in our minds by saying, like, I, I think I, I'm better than this law. I think I, I get it better. Like, I'm a better driver than they think I am. Do you realize we do the same thing with God? We look at some things that God has commanded us to do, and we've just said, that probably doesn't apply to me. Like, I don't really need that rule in my life. I'm better than that. And we've justified, we just said it's not wrong. And again, that's an effort to avoid dealing with guilt. But guilt is a real thing. It's a state of being. And guilt carries a weight with it because it is attached to sin. So we're going we're gonna to kind of try to uh, demonstrate this a little bit. Um, Joe, would you help me? He's like, dang it. <laughs> this is why if you can avoid me learning your name, it's probably good because uh, stuff like this can happen. Good luck with that. Come on up here, Joe. Would you put this backpack on for me? I appreciate that. It's nice, actually. If you do well, I'll let you keep it. Uh, So what happens, uh, where guilt comes from, is it comes from sin. Sin is destructive. Sin is when we live outside of God's commands for us, when we, we decide to put ourselves at the center of our lives, we make our own decisions, Sin is real. It breaks things. Just like this brick. If I were to chuck this brick out there, it would break something. Either you, or if you're quick enough to dodge it, then the whatever's behind you. Sin is destructive like that. And sin has a weight with it. And that weight is guilt. Guilt is the weight of sin that reminds us that we've done something wrong. And so you maybe you lie to your wife. You would never lie to your wife. I mean, I know that. But let's just say that you did, then that's a sin, that's a brokenness in a relationship that goes in your, in your backpack that you're carrying around. Maybe it's tax time, right? Do you do your own taxes? May- Ooh, <laughs> just walked right into this one. Maybe you decide that if you fudge a little here or there, you can save yourself some money on your taxes. Uh, and that's a broken uh, relationship. Maybe um, you... You ever take the Lord's name in vain? Don't answer that. I know you don't. But just in case you did, I mean, there's another broken relationship. Is this starting to get heavy yet? So here's, here's how we feel. is we, we, These sins kind of go in, and the weight of them, this guilt, is what's supposed to make us go, I don't want to carry this around. You don't want to live like this, right? You don't want to live with this in your backpack all the time. I don't know how much he can take. He's a pretty stout guy. Hang in there, buddy. I, I think that what we try to do, because we feel this weight, and we know, I, I don't want to carry this around with me. I, I don't want to live with this backpack of sin and guilt on me. And so we look for ways to deal with it. We, maybe we try to blame somebody else. Maybe we just deny that what we did was sinful. Maybe we think that we can hide from God, and, and we can deal with our guilt that way. Here's the problem. None, none of that actually works. And, and so some of you have been carrying guilt around your whole life. There's, there's something that's still weighing on you. That's what guilt does. It weighs us down. There's something that is still weighing on you from years ago. And you've just never found a healthy way to deal with it. And so you continue to carry it around. And the only way that you can survive that way is, is to train yourself not to feel it. You can, you can train yourself not to feel it. 
Well, I'm just, going, I'm just going to pretend like it's not there. If it were just an emotion, that would work, but it's not. It's a state of being. You've broken something, you are guilty, and you can't wish it away. So what do we do about it? Thank you, Joe. I'm going to take this from you, just like Jesus would if you were here. Oh, gosh, that's really heavy. Good job, man. <laughs> Holy cow. I'm impressed. Let's go to John chapter 1. This, this is where I think we're going to really uh, find an answer. Because here's what God did for, for the Israelites. When, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God immediately knew we got to find a way to deal with sin and guilt. We gotta, there, there needs to be a plan. And so for the Israelites, he, he instituted this sacrificial system. He said, when you break something, when you break your relationship with me in particular, God would say, there is a price to pay for that. And the price to pay for that is what? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And so when you break your relationship with God, you have a death sentence hanging over your head. And God designed this sacrificial system as a way for you to transfer that death sentence to an animal. So you, you can say, instead of me dying, this animal is going to die. And you bring that animal to the temple. They kill it. They offer it to God as a sacrifice. And that atones for, the biblical word is atone, that atones for your sin so that you don't have to live under that anymore. That was the system. How many animals would, would you have to go through to stay in a right relationship with God? A lot. And they did. A lot of animals. We think of the temple as this beautiful place, and it was, but it was a bloody mess because people would continually bring these animals they were transferring their death sentence over to this animal. The animal would be killed so they could be right with God again. And that was the system for hundreds of years that they lived under. Aren't you glad that we don't have that anymore? So here's what John says in John chapter 1, verse 29. John, the ba- this gets a little confusing because we got two Johns. John is the writer of this gospel who is a disciple of Jesus. And he's going to be talking about John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, came before him, prepared the way, Two different guys. I'll try to keep it straight. John the Baptist is out preaching in the wilderness. And um, here's where we pick up verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now for John's Jewish audience... They, they know what he's talking about, but this is some new information. There's some familiar stuff and some brand new stuff here. They, they know what a lamb is, a sacrificial lamb is, and they're a, a little bit familiar. They have one touch point with a lamb that God offers because in the sacrificial system of the temple, who offers the lamb? Whose lamb is it? It's yours. If you sin, you have to bring the lamb. That's your price, right? So the guilty bring the lamb. But in in one case in the Old Testament, God provided the lamb. When he told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the mountain, Abraham, which blows our minds, is going to go through with it. Somehow he's convinced that God is going to be able to bring his son back to him, but he's going to go through with it. God stops him before he can sacrifice his son, and Abraham looks up, and in the bushes there's an animal that God has provided as a substitute for Isaac. So they have this touch point. They know that there is at least one case where God provided the sacrifice. And John says to them, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says, 
this sacrifice is not just for one person's one sin. This sacrifice, the Lamb of God, is a sacrifice for all people and all sin. And he's standing right there. And I imagine John's audience turning around and looking and seeing Jesus and going, really? That guy is the Lamb of God and he's going to take away the sin of the world? That, that didn't add up. That, that's not how things work, John. We go to the temple and we offer animals as a sacrifice. This is, this is not how it works. Look down in verse 35. John the Baptist is continuing to teach out in the wilderness. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. At least two guys were curious enough to go, well, if that's the Lamb of God, what are we doing hanging out with you? <laughs> See you, John. And John was like, no problem. This is why I'm here. Go follow him. At least one of those guys, we know his name was Andrew. Andrew was disciple of John the Baptist first. John said, well, that's the Lamb of God. You really should be following him. And Andrew's like, See ya. So he goes to follow him. And and Andrew then goes and finds his brother, Peter, and says, Peter, you're not going to believe this, but I found the Messiah. Andrew makes a leap somehow between the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets had said was going to come and, and set God's people free and establish the reign of the kingdom of God forever. And Andrew goes, this Lamb of God is the Messiah. And he tells his brother, Peter, I've found him. I've found the Messiah. He's the one who takes away our sin. And Peter, who comes to Jesus from the testimony of his brother Andrew, writes a letter to the church. And he writes this in 1 Peter 1. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with the perishable, but with the blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Peter comes to understand Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says to the church, the reason why you're able to sit here in freedom today is because someone paid your price. Someone took that death sentence from over your head. And then the way Paul says it in Romans 8.1, this is the, one of the most astonishing verses in all of Scripture, I think. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is that death sentence. And the way that Scripture teaches it, and James talks about this in James chapter 3, he says that you can keep the whole law, but if, you're, if you stumble at one point, if you break one law, you, you have to pay the price. The penalty is death. The wages of sin is death. And condemnation is that death sentence that hangs over your head, that says guilty, and you've got to pay the price. And Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, you, you, you're carrying around this backpack full of sin and guilt? Jesus paid for that. You don't have to carry that anymore. Listen to this. If you're carrying guilt around, and, and you're someone who's given your life to Christ, stop it. You're free. You have permission 
to receive forgiveness from Jesus. No one should leave here today carrying guilt. No one. There is something that we are supposed to do. So uh, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's really important, the in Christ Jesus part. It's really important that we understand that this is a promise for those who have given their lives to Christ, who have said yes to Jesus. Jesus, if you're going to pay my price, if you're going to take the death sentence off of my head, then I'm yours. I'm yours, and you can, you can have whatever you want from me. That's what it means to be in Christ Jesus, and there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how do we get this forgiveness? How do we transfer this, this sin and guilt off of our shoulders onto him? Well, he's already done his part. He's already done his part. He went to the cross, and he paid the price. He, he was the sacrificial lamb of God, and he took away the sin of the world. Already done, signed, sealed, delivered, right? What, what is our part? Because guilt weighs us down, Jesus wants to lift us up. How do we allow him to do this? We start by confessing. 1 John 1, 9, the same guy that wrote this gospel, the disciple of Jesus that wrote the gospel of John that we're, that we're reading through the first chapter, he wrote this letter later on, and he said this, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John said, are you carrying around weight? Are you carrying around guilt from your sin? Okay, the, the guilt is not a bad thing. When you're healthy, the guilt is a reminder that something's broken. It's a reminder that, hey, I don't want to carry this around with me. Something needs to be done. John said, if, if that's where you are, here's what you need to do. Confess, confess. A confession is to lay out before God what we did that was wrong and to acknowledge that it was sinful and that it broke the relationship. This is something that I don't think we, we teach super well, and I don't know, I'm not sure a lot of people do this, but this is what we're supposed to do is go before God and lay out our sin and say, God, I was wrong when I did this, when I said this, when I avoided doing that that I know you wanted me to do, that was wrong, and I confess that to you. And... He is faithful and just. Now, Scripture also teaches that when we break a relationship with another human being, we need to confess that to them. Not, not just to God. We, we don't get a pass by saying, God, I know, I, I know that when I lied to my wife, that was wrong, and I ask you to forgive me. His next question is going to be, well, did you, did you tell her? So my responsibility when I break a relationship with another person is to confess my sin to them to look at this person that I've wronged and say, I, I was wrong. I broke our relationship with my words or my actions or my inactions. Please forgive me. We're not very good at that either. In fact, some of you, this may be your afternoon plans. You need to make some phone calls. And you need to confess to some people. Because you're carrying around a weight, that, that you're looking for ways to avoid, you blame them, well, the only reason I did that is because of what they did to me, and if you knew what they did to me, then you would think that I was probably in the right. We can manipulate those emotions all we want, but it doesn't take away the brokenness that's caused by our sin. The only way to deal with that is to confess and then repent. Repentance is taught throughout the New Testament. This is the idea of, of of changing sides, of turning around. We're going in one direction, and then we repent and turn around. The way I like to think of it is most of my sin is a result of me living with myself at the center of my life, at least in that moment, of me going, you know what matters most right now is what I want. 
not what God wants. And I put myself at the center. To repent is to acknowledge I have no business living at the center of my own life. I can't handle that job. It's not for me. I need Jesus at the center. And so repentance is saying, not me at the center, Jesus at the center. That's how I want to live. So we confess, we repent, we put Jesus at the center. And then this, this part's really important. We need to receive forgiveness. We need to receive forgiveness. I'll say this again. If you're carrying around guilt for something that you have confessed to God, stop it. Stop it. If God is not holding you accountable for that anymore, why are you? No one should leave here carrying guilt today. Maybe for, for you, that means you need to make a decision to put Jesus at the center of your life. Maybe you've never done that. Because the truth is, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, you're still under the death sentence. You need to give your life to Christ. Maybe that's your step today. But it's possible for every person to leave here today guilt-free. And I think that's God's intention for each one of us. So we confess our sins, we repent, we receive his forgiveness, and now we need to move on. We can't just stay in this place. Now we need to move on. How do we do that? This is where sacrifice is going to come back in. Jesus was the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, right? Not exactly. Here's what Paul says in Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because God has been merciful, because God has shown you grace, because God has paid for your sin, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, we're not done with sacrifice. We're just done with compulsory sacrifice. We're done with transferring the death sentence from you to an animal. We're done with that. Jesus has paid for your sin. And now, because Jesus has paid for your sin, you owe him your gratitude. You owe him your life. So you have this option to voluntarily climb onto this altar and offer your body as a living sacrifice. That is to say, God, because you have set me free, because Jesus has taken this weight from me, because you have done this for me, I'm yours. All of me, whatever you want, I'm yours. My relationship, my, my marriage, it's yours. My, my kids, they're not mine, they're yours. My money, it's yours. My career, whatever I do for a living, it's yours. My thoughts, yours. My actions, yours. My attitudes, yours. That is our spiritual worship. Unfortunately, we have sort of reduced worship to about a 20-minute song set on Sunday mornings. That's what we call worship these days. What Paul is talking about is very different from that. It's a lifestyle of offering myself, of voluntarily climbing up on the altar and saying, God, I'm all yours. Whatever you want to do with me, it's entirely up to you. I'm yours. That is the response, the natural and right response of someone who has had their guilt taken away by Jesus who paid for our sin. When he takes this off your shoulders, it is, it is an easy choice. It is a glad choice to say, I'm all yours, because I could never have done that for myself. I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't blame somebody enough to get rid of it. I couldn't ignore my sin. I couldn't deny my sin enough to get rid of it. Only Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only him. And because of that, I'm yours. Whatever you want, I'm yours. My hope and prayer 
for each one of you and for me as well is that I would live as a sacrifice every day to God, that my life would be a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving for what he's done for me, and that as I go along living this way, that hopefully I'll run into some people who are carrying around some guilt. They have sin. Maybe they don't call it that. Maybe they don't even believe in sin, but they're carrying something around that they can't get rid of on their own. And maybe I get to be the one to say, did you know you don't have to carry that around? Did, did you know that you can be set free from that? Did you know that Jesus actually died to pay for the sin that you're carrying around that's weighing you down? He came to lift you up. Maybe I can be the one to say that to somebody else, and I hope that you will be as well. I think that's why we're still here. I think that's why when we, we give our lives to Christ and baptize into him and he takes our guilt and sin away and he leaves us here instead of taking us straight out of here. I think that the reason why he leaves us is because we're here to tell other people who don't know. We're here to share this good news that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice for me that takes away my sin. I didn't do anything to deserve that, but you, out of your great love and mercy, you did it for me. And Father, I, I want to live free from guilt and sin. I pray that you would use guilt to remind me that I need to confess and repent, receive your forgiveness, and that my response to that would be, God, I would, I would offer myself as a sacrifice. And may you use that in my life to show somebody else who Christ is and what he has to offer them. In his name, I pray, amen.